Welcome to Aging in Full Bloom with Lisa Stockdale, sponsored by Capital Healthcare Network, an Ohio-based, family-owned and operated company providing solutions that help seniors age on their own terms. Those solutions include home care, senior living, nursing home and rehab care, and hospice. Learn more at CapitalHealthCareNetwork.com. I'm Lisa Stockdale, and I'm the host of your podcast today. Today, our topic is, we'll call it the best part of caregiving. I'm going to share a little excerpt with you from an article that I read some time ago, published in the Washington Post by one of their managing editors, and it sort of gives us a little glimpse into her caregiving journey with her husband who died of cancer. And the article made such an impression on me because she comes at it in a different way than we have grown accustomed to hearing about caregiving. Um, so I wanted to share it with you because I know many of you are actively involved in caregiving. And before it's all said and done, a lot of us will be. So it's another way to think about caregiving. It starts out, 10 years ago this month, my world as I knew it ended. My husband of 19 years, the father of my two sons, was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Over the course of seven months, Bill went from beating me silly on the tennis court to needing my help going to the bathroom and bathing. It was the best seven months of my life. Maybe I don't actually mean that, but it was certainly the time when I felt most alive. I had lived 42 years before I heard the phrase, we have a problem, cancer on the brain, probably in the lung as well. I had become a respected professional, a responsible, and I hope loved parent, but I had yet to discover the reason I was put on this earth. During those seven months, I came to understand that whatever else I did in my life, nothing would matter more than this, even though I really didn't know how it would all end. For me, there were no bad days. I discovered that the pretty day-in-day-out grievances of an irksome co-worker, a child with the sniffles, or a flat tire paled in comparison to the beauty of spontaneous laughter, the night sky, the smells of a bakery, Some days were more difficult than others, but there were moments of joy, laughter, tenderness in every day. If I were willing to look hard enough, I could find, I could train myself to see more beauty than bother, to set my internal barometer to be more compassionate than callous. But I also discovered that with each day, my heart and soul grew more open to seeing this beauty than at any other time in my life. And then she titles this next piece, The Condolences End, But a Widow Doesn't. Several months ago, during a town hall, Hillary Clinton was asked about her faith. She spoke about daily meditations with her faith advisor, which her faith faith advisor offers her, and then said that one has become a touchstone for her. Practice the discipline of gratitude, she said. I had Never thought about the lessons of Bill's illness in quite that way, but as soon as I heard it, I realized that that's just what I had been doing all those months ago. I had been training myself to be grateful. It was a very Hillary Clinton-type thought, discipline and gratitude, sharing the same sentence, but it was also my mantra, one I recommend to every caregiver. Caregiving has often become 
I'm sorry, caregiving has gotten a bad name in this country. Being a caregiver to someone you love can be a gift, and yet, for too many, it feels like punishment. There are a lot of good reasons for this. Among the nation's more than 34 million unpaid caregivers, many are aging, and ill spouses are caring for equally aged and sicker mates. Then often is a lack of infrastructure to make sure the essentials and the transportation to doctor's visits and medical tests are provided. For some, caregiving lasts for years rather than months, and respite services that would allow for a little time off from the relentless nature of the challenge aren't always available or in place. I concede that I was very fortunate when my husband became ill. I was young and healthy. I had a great employer who provided even better health insurance. My bosses basically told me that for my full-time job, which I would continue to be paid, was to take care of my husband. In the early days after Bill's diagnosis and brain surgery, being a caregiver called me to be the best reporter I know how to be. There was a heady sense that I could out MacGyver the disease by using my resources, intellect, and grit. I found clinical trials, talked to oncologists in Texas, Pennsylvania, New York. I knew which chemo drugs would work in the brain and which would work in the lungs. I was relentless in making doctors and insurance companies answer my questions. My professional training and willingness to question authority were arrows I had in this quiver, and I was going to use them. It gave me a sense of purpose, and it gave Bill great comfort and more than a few chuckles to overhear me reading the riot act to some poor insurance rep who told me some treatment wouldn't be covered. I don't know what it feels like to be an athlete in the zone, which every where every pitch is a strike, every shot a three-pointer, but those moments were as close as I believe I'll ever come. I was at the top of my game. In the later days, being Bill's caregiver meant fully being fully present for as many moments and days as possible, even ones where my formerly strong, independent spouse needed the type of help that would have seemed unthinkable months earlier. Well-meaning friends suggested antidepressants and sleeping pills to take the edge off. I can certainly understand needing to do that, but I didn't want to be less than 100% present. I didn't want to forget a moment. When it became hard for Bill to navigate the stairs, he slept on the family room sofa and I slept on the floor next to him at the ready if he needed help getting to the bathroom in the middle of the night. It was in some ways reminiscence of having premature twins and never sleeping more than a few hours at a stretch. With the boys, I prayed for the day I would no longer have to tend to them in the wee hours. With Bill, I prayed for another month, another week, another day of being able to take care for take care of him. When I couldn't sleep during those nights, I took to praying the rosary and then began praying it daily, even if I had no difficulty sleeping. There is a reason that prayer beads are common in so many religious traditions dating to well before Christ. For me, the repetition of the Hail Mary while caressing the beads helped slow my breathing, calm my mind. I came to feel naked if I didn't have the beads in my pocket or purse within easy reach with scans while performed, IVs, drip, test results were awaited for. 
Even during the moments when I was most angry with God, I found that I could talk to Mary on the theory that she knew a little bit about being challenged by God. Today, saying the rosary is a part of my morning ritual, done while walking the dog and bearing witness to the moments when night relinquishes its purchase to a new day. During Bill's last weekend, we had dinner together. At that point, we had no longer held on to the illusion of MacGyvering our way out of this predicament, although we still believed that he might come home one more time. We sat by so- side by side on his hospital bed, sharing a Subway sandwich and watching television. Later, a relative visited, and I noted almost reflexively to myself that she changed her appearance and not in a good way. It was the kind of thought I'd usually keep to myself. But just then, Bill voiced exactly what I'd been thinking in that intuitive, ruthless, truthful way he had, and I found myself laughing out loud. I could live with this man, even compromised as he was, needing as much care as he did, for the next 40 years, I thought to myself. He would be dead in four days. Ten years later, I haven't started a foundation to cure cancer. I haven't left the news business to get a medical degree. I work. I pay bills. I try to be there for my sons. I will never again be as good a person as I was when I cared for Bill. I will never again have a high purpose like that. But every day, I also try to find and put into practice the person I became during those months. I try to be a little less judgmental, a little more forgiving, a little more generous, a little more grateful for the small moments in life. I am a better person for having been Bill's caregiver. It was his last best gift to me. And that's written by Tracy Grant from the Washington Post. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you can find some lessons and meaning in what she shared. Till next time, may the road rise to meet you. May the wind be forever at your back. Circle270media.com